if you're in this business, and I know we have kind of a love-hate with real estate agents as investors, but if you are not utilizing agents to your advantage, you're leaving a lot of money on the table. Best ever listeners, before we jump into today's episode, got two questions for you, and this is for my fix and flippers out there. One, are your financing costs eating away at your bottom line? And two, are you looking for a way to increase your overall profits by reducing your loan payments to the bank or private lender? Of course you are, right? You're always looking to maximize the potential of your deal. So here's a solution. We got a solution for you through the crowdfunding platform, Patch of Land. If you're a loyal best ever listener, you know Patch of Land. They've been on the show many times. They've sponsored the show many times. They're back for more because they love you. They want to help you out. They want to add value to your life. And here's how they're going to do it. They have a solution to your financing issue of financing costs eating away from your bottom line. And they want to help you reduce your loan payment to the bank. So here we go. Patchland offers a fix and flip loan program that only charges interest on the funds that have been dispersed as opposed to tradition the traditional model of lenders charging interest on the whole loan amount at the beginning. You save a lot of money this way and it can be misleading when you get your terms quoted to you by the lender at a particular rate if they charge all of the interest up front versus upon distribution. Patch of Land's got a document that you've got to check out if you're a fix and flipper to educate yourself on questions you should ask the lender. Regardless if you go with Patch of Land, you've got to get this document to educate yourself on the questions to ask your lender to make sure you're getting the best financing terms. The document's at patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. That's patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Patch of Land, they can close in as little as seven days and they can help you through this program save thousands of dollars on your deals, make more money, and uh, have a better business and grow your fix and flip business. So go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. I hope you're having a best ever weekend first and foremost. And because today is Saturday, we got a special segment for you with a returning guest, You know what the segment is. On Saturdays, we do Situation Saturday, and our returning guest is Jason Boozy. How are you doing, Jason? Good. How are you? I am doing well, and nice to have you back, my friend. And best ever listeners, with Situation Saturday, what we do is our guest, Jason, is going to talk about some challenging situations and deals that he's been in recently and how they've turned out. So he's going to talk through that. A little bit about Jason, by the way, you can hear his other episode where he gave his best ever advice. It's episode 443, and it's titled How to Focus on Off-Market Deals for $1 Million Plus a Year. And he is a real estate investor in San Francisco, California. We'll give you his email address. It's info at area code A-R-E-A-C-O-D-E-S-E-O.com. That'll be in the show notes. So you can email him afterwards if you'd like to talk to him. So with that being said, Jason, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, thanks for having me back on. It's an honor and a pleasure. And I do mostly high-end deals, partly because of the nature of the market that I'm in, which is the San Francisco Bay Area, where home prices are well in excess of $1 million. And I say that if you're not making a million dollars a year, 
minimum in a market like this, you're probably doing something wrong. And for years, I was doing something wrong. I limited myself to wholesaling. Now, wholesaling is great, but when I started out in 2005, I was wholesaling. I made about 250 my first year. I was very happy with that, but I was still doing the same thing five years later, and that was a mistake. And what got me out of it was the opportunity to joint venture with family members, and basically they convinced me to partner with them on a deal, and we made 400000 which was a lot more than the wholesale or assignment fee that I was gotten. And that kind of created a mental shift in me where I looked at each property and sought to maximize my profit on it. And there have been multiple properties where I've made 300, 400, 500K, either by rehabbing the property, by partnering on new construction, or by using my favorite method, which is wholetailing or double closing. People use different terminology for that. And that just means you take title to the property, you don't do a full rehab on it, you do little to nothing on it, throw it back on the market or sell it to a buyer, whether it's a retail buyer or investor, and make a large profit, hopefully. So again, you're just buying, you're closing, you're taking title in your name, and then immediately reselling it. So it's similar to wholesaling. It's sort of a hybrid between wholesaling and rehabbing with sort of the best of both. You get the upside that you could get in rehabbing without having to do the work, and you get to do it really quick, like wholesaling, where you get to recapture your profit very quickly. So that's sort of my preferred method, and I actually have a story about one that we did recently that I think you're going to like. We will dive into the stories of the ones you've done recently. I know when we were talking before we started recording, you gave me the email address and it's area code SEO. So clearly you're involved in some sort of search engine optimization business. How does that align with wholetailing? What's the crossover? Well, I've been looking for a long time to improve my sort of internet marketing presence. I've done a lot of direct mail, I've done a lot of networking, but I was kind of weak with the online marketing. And then I met a guy in this market, which is very competitive here in the San Francisco area, who was just crushing it with internet marketing. So we got together and I said, I see that you're ranking in the top five and you haven't even been doing it that long for a lot of keywords. And he said, yeah, I'm getting leads, I'm getting deals from it, I'm getting constant leads from it. I said, is this something you can do for me? And he said, yeah. And then I came to him with a proposal and I said, well, what if I invest some money and we partner? Is this something that you can offer other people? Because I have a lot of people asking me about it and search engine optimization. For those who don't know, it's a way to get your site basically ranked higher in Google when people search for common words like we buy houses or sell my house fast or cash for my house. So he was able to get a very high ranking in this very competitive market for keywords. I said, can you do this nationally? And he said, yes. And he showed me how he's doing it. And I said, okay, well, let's partner on this and we can offer it to people. And everybody gets one area code, to be clear, not a zip code. So if you're 415 San Francisco, 202 if you're Washington, D.C., 214 if you're in Dallas, you get that entire area exclusively, not sharing with anybody in search engine optimization is done to get your site ranked highly. So if you're interested in that, please send an email to info at areacodeseo.com. Again, it's a business that I want to disclose. I'm a partner in, I have equity in, sort of a side business of mine, but I believe in it. I see what he's done. And it's info at areacodeseo, info at areacodeseo.com. Any of the deals you're going to talk about, did you get those deals from SEO? We got one of them recently from it. 
Perfect segue then. You want to tell so us about it? That one was a rehab, not as exciting as the double close deal that I mentioned to you. So let me tell you about the double closing because that was kind of a unique, challenging type of situation. A guy that I know that lives in San Francisco, he was driving by and he saw some fire trucks and he referred me to this lead. And I said, okay, sounds good. Let me follow up on it. it turned out that they already had an agent. The agent was enlisted for 800000 And that seemed like a really good deal for a duplex in San Francisco. The value was at least $2 million. And I said, okay, we can do it for 800000 So the first challenge was, he said, no, that's not 800000 that we're willing to sell for. That was just kind of a teaser price. Because what they do here very often is they deliberately underprice properties with the hope and the expectation that it's going to sell for way over. So we said, well, okay, how much do you want in order to sell it now without going on the market? And he said 900,000. So I said, okay, let's do that. We got in contract for 900K. Now this property was fire damaged. There had been like a pretty serious fire. I mean, it wasn't burnt down to the ground, but it was visible fire damage and everybody had to leave the building. So that was the first challenge. So it's hard to comp what it's worth. It's not like just your standard rehab. Yeah. There's some major stuff there. It could be structural, it could be electrical, plumbing, probably that you have to replace. I know the ARV, but I don't know what the property is worth today because this is not like my regular type of paint and flooring deal. So that was the first challenge. How much is it really worth in this present condition? It's going to take us a lot of time, a lot of money to fix it up. The second challenge was being San Francisco, even though the tenants left, there are very strict tenant protection laws, very anti-landlord. So all those tenants had three of them. It was a duplex, but one of the two units had been illegally divided into another two units. Oh, man. So it was basically three tenants. So you have an illegal extra unit, really should have been a duplex. You have tenants that are below market rent, and they have a right to come back, or you have to buy them out. And we talked with an attorney. And there's a lot of rights protecting the tenants and not a lot protecting the landlord. So you could spend all this money, fix up the place, and your tenants could still come back. So that was the second challenge. You had to buy them out. Well, long story short, I said, well, why don't we just try to sell it as is and put some teaser price out there and see if there's bite. So put it out there for like one, 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 two. And we were pretty confident that if we got interest at that price, go ahead and close. And we got interest at that price. We kind of blasted it out while we were still in escrow before closing. So went ahead and closed on it for 900 and then just didn't put it on MLS because I thought it would be good for an investor. Put it all over Facebook and Craigslist and any agent in that area that had done a deal and any agent that specialized in that type of property in San Francisco duplexes. So got a lot of interest, but a lot of people didn't want it mostly because of the tenant situation. They were actually more concerned about that than about the fire. But finally, we got somebody to buy it that didn't mind. We got a million three fifty, so 450000 more in about two weeks after buying it, 450K spread. Basically, I had to push them really hard to get the payoff in time because it was such a fast split that I don't think they'd even started servicing or gotten the loan over to their servicing department. Got a private loan on that. So 450K was the difference. The profit was slightly less because we paid a little bit of commission. So made about 400K in two weeks, not doing anything to it, just buying it and selling it. But that basically came from being creative and saying, okay, I may not want to deal with the tenant situation, but there's somebody out there that doesn't mind. There's somebody out there that 
is willing to take over a problem that I may not want to do. Where and did that's the, a very important lesson in this. Where did the lead come from that eventually closed? Was it through a broker, it sounds like? It was. It was through an agent. What listeners need to understand is, and I've said this many times when I do public speaking occasionally, I have a book out, which I don't think was out yet when we last spoke, but it's called Smash Your Alarm Clock. So if you go to Amazon.com and look up Smash Your Alarm Clock or look up Jason Boozy, Boozy, you'll see my book. And I talk about this. If you're in this business, and I know we have kind of a love-hate with real estate agents as investors, but if you are not utilizing agents to your advantage, you're leaving a lot of money on the table because they want the deal to happen. At the end of the day, a real estate agent is compensated only when a transaction takes place. So you can use them to find you deals. You can use them to cop your deals and you can use them to find your buyers. So in this case, a real estate agent was able to bring a buyer, persuade them to pay our price and they got a commission and we got our profit and everybody's happy. And that buyer is willing to spend the time and do the work that I would not be willing to do. So utilize real estate agents in this business if you're an investor. I know that some of the best deals come direct from sellers, but if you're not utilizing agents, again, in these three capacities, finding your deals, bringing your buyers, and helping you evaluate properties and tell you what's going on in the marketplace, I think you're putting yourself at a disadvantage. Do you know what the buyer was planning on doing with the property? We have something called the Ellis Act, which is an exception to having the tenants back in. It basically, you're basically signing a guarantee that you will live in the property and not rent it out for a period of five years. And if you do that, then you don't have to let the tenants back in. That's the exception. It's called Ellis Act. So I think they're going to do that and then fix it up and then live in there. They may have family members live in there. They're looking long-term and just looking as an asset to buy and hold on to. So the lesson here is just because I wouldn't do the deal that doesn't mean somebody else wouldn't do the deal. I've passed up deals that I've been able to sell to others, and sometimes they've done very well on them. Last night, I was hanging out with somebody who I sold properties to that's a builder, and they made about almost $2 million on a property that I thought was basically a dog, quote-unquote. It was a busy road. It was across from a church. It's in a high-end area, but I didn't like the location. But you know what? They bought the house. They sold it for $4.3 million. And I got it to them for $1.7. I work with a lot of developers. So this was sort of a luxury home. Even though it was on a busy street, they had no problem selling it. So just because something doesn't appeal to me personally, Mm -hmm. I've learned to say, look, just because it's not for me, that doesn't mean there's not a right buyer for that out there. Yeah, especially with the wholesale approach. It's one thing if you are putting it in your own portfolio, then there's reasons why you have the different filters. But if you're wholetailing it or wholesaling it, even there's no harm, no foul, assuming all parties are aware of what's going on and you send it out to your list. And then if it works, it works. If not, then it didn't work and you move on. Correct. And I want to say we did lose buyers because of that tenant situation. There were buyers that backed up, but we ended up finding one who said, okay, I'll deal with it. And would have lost buyers on the busy road as well. But that still worked out for the buyer that I did find. Mm. So even though it's a challenging property, sometimes the numbers make sense. A lot of times you can find a buyer for it. Quickly, is there another deal that you wanted to talk about or or is that the one? Yeah, I got a lot of deals I could talk about. (laughs) Like recently, I just got kind of red tagged by the city because 
the previous owner who sold me the house left the garbage on the side of the house. And I kept asking when they're going to take it. And it was the next day, it was the next day. And finally, when they took it away, the day later, I get a call from the city that, oh, your garage has been converted illegally. So how did they even find out about that? And that was done by the previous owner. They said, well, one of the neighbors complained because he had all this garbage stacked up. And we went to see what's going on with the house. And we saw this illegal garage conversion. So that was something that never happened before and wasn't very pleasant. But now I'm going to make sure that you don't have a bunch of garbage sitting out there because you got these nosy neighbors that can complain. And also a bunch of people were going to see the house while I was in escrow. So just that was kind of a, a rude awakening there. But my favorite type of deal these days is really just the example of the San Francisco duplex where I can buy it. I know there's enough value there that I can sell it and not necessarily have to do a lot of work. But I'm mm-hmm. also working on entitlement projects where it's going to be a much longer horizon. I have a friend that bought a car wash and got it permitted to build about 40 condos and made a lot of money selling that to developers. So I'm working on deals like that right now, but I don't have one completed yet to talk to you about. So I like the bigger deals. I saw somebody asking online, how many deals did you do? 100, 200, 150. I'm not the guy trying to do hundreds of deals. I'm trying to make a few million bucks a year, but I don't think I need to do 100 or 200 deals to do that. I'm looking to do big deals, 300, 400, 500 million dollar profit deals. On the entitlement projects, I know you haven't completed one yet, but I also know based on what I know about you that you've thought through the business plan already. And with your wholetailing, you don't have skin in the game. Are you able to structure it similarly with entitlement since you're going to likely be having it under contract for a much longer period of time? Yeah, I could structure it that way. When I get one, which I'm working on a couple potential ones now, I'll kind of decide, okay, how much of my own money do I want to put in? Honestly, I have people that want to invest with me, so I'm sure that I could structure it with no skin in the game. And how much I want to put in, I haven't decided yet. My bank account fluctuates between deals. So, you know, I may put in 100 or 200K of my own money. I met a guy recently who rehabs and puts none of his own money and does like 100 deals a year rehabbing and puts none of his own money. Private money funds 100%. I could probably get that easily if I wanted to because of just contacts that I have, but I'm not sure yet how I will structure that. But that's a much longer horizon type deal. You were talking about you know, a year or so. Jason, how can the best ever listeners get in touch with you? You can send me an email at info at areacodeseo.com. I-N-F-O at areacodeseo.com. That's A-R-E-A-C-O-D-E-S-E-O.com. And you can put Jason in the subject line if you just have a question for me. If it's about the SEO, you can just say SEO. And I also have a Facebook group called Living the Dream. It's the one with a picture of a smashed alarm clock. I know there's quite a few groups with similar names, Living the Dream. We have about... 12 or 13,000 members now, I think. And it's just a picture of the smash alarm clock. And get my book. I don't really make any money from it. It's only 11 bucks on Amazon, but it's called Smash Your Alarm Clock. And I give a lot of my kind of tidbits away that we can't capture them all, obviously, in this brief time. But can I leave your listeners with some final thoughts? Sure thing. I just want to say, always be growing and learning. If I'll be depressed if in five years from now, I'm doing exactly the same things I'm doing today. 
this business of real estate is infinite with infinite possibilities and you just want to keep learning and growing and improving your skills. My biggest regret in this business is that I didn't move on from wholesaler for almost six years. Literally, I left millions of dollars on the table. There are deals that I could have made 10 times what I did, where I made 30,000, I could have made three or 400,000. And in around 2010 or 11, I think it was 2011, I said, okay, I'm not a wholesaler, I'm a real estate investor. Wholesaling is a tool, it's a skill, it's one of the things I'm gonna keep using, but that's not what defines me. I'm a real estate investor. And going forward from there, it was only about a year later that I had my first seven figure year where I broke a million dollars net. And I attribute it all to kind of changing that mindset, first of all, and then strategy following that. That, okay, I'm gonna maximize my profit on the deal. I'll rehab when it makes sense. I'll double close when it makes sense. And I'll wholesale when it makes sense. And for me, the rule is if I'm confident that I can net 100,000 or more, and again, sometimes I miss the mark, but if going into it, I think after all the expenses and closing costs, I'm gonna net 100K or more, then I'm going to close on it. I may rehab it, I may resell it right away, but I'm not gonna wholesale it. It just gives me more leverage and more power and more ability to make money. Every year I have several deals that I make 250K or more, so at the end of the year, it's a really nice seven-figure year, and this year is no exception. Well, thanks for sharing some of the case study examples of actual deals that you're closing on, in particular the fire-damaged house. And I also enjoyed the part where it was 800, and then you said, "Okay, fine, let's do 800." And then they said, "Well, we just did that to generate interest." Okay, fine. Now what do you want? 900. Okay, fine. We'll buy it for 900. Just that little piece of info right there to know what we might come across in situations like that. And then obviously the property itself with the challenges, the illegal unit, the three tenants, the favorable landlord tenant laws towards tenants and the fire damage. And as you said, just because you wouldn't do a deal doesn't mean others wouldn't. So you got it under contract, made it happen, and about $400,000 later was a profit. So thanks for being on the show. I hope you have a best ever weekend, Jason, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Joe. appreciate it. Today's sponsor, Patch of Land, has got a document for you that you've got to check out if you're a fix and flipper. They show you how a higher interest rate can actually deliver a lower cost to your fix and flip loan, and conversely, how a lower interest rate could deliver a higher cost to your fix and flip loan. Needless to say, you got to know this stuff to identify the best loan terms. Go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Get this document, patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end of the work week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs, Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com.